Welcome to the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast, making art work. We highlight how entrepreneurs align their artistry, passion, and vision to create and pursue opportunities to capture value in the arts. The views expressed by guests on the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the podcast or its hosts. The appearance of a guest on the podcast, the venture they represent, or reference to any product or service does not imply an endorsement or recommendation by the podcast or its hosts. The content provided is for entertainment and informational purposes only and does not constitute business advice. Here are your hosts, Andy Heiss and Nick Petrella. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Andy Heiss. And I'm Nick Petrella. Janet Ziak is with us today. I met Janet at the Creative Ohio Advocacy Summit earlier this year and was impressed with her story and vision. She founded North Point Ballet in 2016 with the mission of making classical ballet accessible to everyone. Janet is particularly passionate about reaching underserved populations and working with the special needs community as a result of her personal encounters with autism within her own family. The latter was the inspiration for programming sensory-friendly theatrical performances and art education workshops. We'll make sure to link to the North Point Ballet website in the show notes so you can read all the great things Janet and her team are doing. Janet, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Let's start by having you tell us a little about yourself and how you applied what you learned as a professional ballerina to North Point Ballet. Okay, well, I am originally from Northeast Ohio and probably had a very typical uh, dance student experience, um, taking classes at the local dance studio, falling in love with it, and then I wanted to continue that dance journey. So I majored in dance and got a degree at Mercyhurst University in Erie, Pennsylvania. That's where I got my first professional dance gig with the Lake Erie Ballet. After graduating, I auditioned and accepted an offer for a St. Louis Ballet position where I spent most of my professional performing career. And then I moved back home to Northeast Ohio and I worked as a freelancer and a guest artist and a choreographer and started a family and, and made a life back here. That's great. And and so when you moved back uh, to Northeast Ohio and you were doing a lot of freelancing and then eventually starting uh, North Point, did you think of yourself as, as an entrepreneur who's kind of running and starting a business or did you just think of yourself more of as a dancer who's doing, you know, doing their thing, seeking out opportunities to dance? <laughs> I I definitely did not see myself as an entrepreneur okay. and uh, truthfully still don't. I think that word is still like, wait a minute, that does that's not me. I'm not a business owner. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not a leader. I'm, I'm just a dancer. Um, despite the fact that I definitely do a lot of business things, arguably more business things than dance things these days. But uh, yeah, I, I still see myself as a dancer creating opportunities, as you said, um, and really just bringing people together because that's my life. That's what I know. And that's what I love. Yeah. Janet, why did you decide to form North Point as a nonprofit rather than a for-profit? Well, that is um, an interesting question with uh, maybe a funny story attached to it. So that's I'll here. start from Great. the beginning. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, you know, when I moved back, I was... A freelancer and I kind of was connected with a bunch of really wonderful other freelancers um, and 
after shows, we would go out and talk about, you know, maybe someday pipe dream of starting our own company. Um, and <laughs> there was one one of those occasions when we actually, we got a napkin out and started taking notes and it was our, you know, first official meeting of this fictitious ballet company that we were going to start someday. <laughs> and line item number two was definitely not a nonprofit because all of us had been working in nonprofits yeah. before we knew the, the long hours, all the hoops you had to jump through, um, the low wages and long hours like that, you know, when we were going to do it, we were going to do it right and it wasn't going to be a nonprofit. Um, fast forward to the actual conception of the company and which was not a nonprofit at the time, you know, when we first started, we were just, um, you know, coming together to do our thing and, and do ballet. And uh, there was a volunteer who worked backstage on a production and this volunteer approached me and said, hey, I would love to donate. I love your mission. I love your product. I love your people. I really believe in this. I would love to donate. There wasn't anything on your website that said you're a 501c3 nonprofit. Is is that hmm. a thing? And I thought, oh, well, um, not so much did I reconsider being a nonprofit or not a nonprofit because of a donation potential, but more about what that legitimacy of having that label on our website was. And so it really made me step back and think like, okay, maybe, maybe this is actually something I could, should consider. So um, I went to my family's like financial advisor and said, hey, you know, I don't know anything about this. What does it entail? And he kind of walked me through um, the process that he had went through with another client that had something similar. And, um, you know, I, I started to educate myself um, additionally with other resources. And there are some some groups out there that will help you start the process. So I investigated those, um, you know, just talked to other people that I knew in the industry and those that, you know, were not nonprofit and what the differences were and where we best fit. And it, it seemed like we were at that, at that moment, like ready to take that step, that next step in our business and make it a nonprofit. Again, it's, I think that stamp of legitimacy mm -hmm. was maybe the inspiration, but um, just the business model of having that accountability, you know, it's not, we aren't selling a product and I make all the rules, you know, our, right. our um, model was definitely a team effort and, um, having that accountability was was nice and it was appealing. Like I have a board of directors that I answer to and I have a, a community that I answer to and, and partners and, um, you know, funders that are making sure that we are fulfilling a mission and not just selling a product. So it seemed to fit and it was a lot of work, but um, I believe that we made the right choice. Oh, that's great. So yeah. how long were you a for-profit before you made the change? Um, about nine months, nine months before I started the process. And then it, once you start the process is another like six months, yeah. you know, before all of the forms get approved, but then they, they backtrack. So then there's another like, okay, it, it, I applied on this date. I got approved on this date, but then we technically were for profit from the time we applied. So Again, like this is just one small thing and a whole yeah. <laughs> lot of lot of things to be a nonprofit. 
Yeah. So, so having gone down the path of, of starting the nonprofit, is there advice you would give to someone who was thinking of, of starting down that path themselves? Sure. I think that a nonprofit is a lot like any other business. So as an artist, you have to realize that you're not going to be making art for a lot of it. You know, it is, if you are starting a business or a nonprofit, um, you, you will get to make art, but a lot of it is going to be, a lot of your time is going to be spent doing other things. So I think if you're not willing to put in the work, um, that maybe it's not for you. Um, You have to have a very clear mission because that is going to be um, drilled into you from everybody, from funders to the state to, you know, every is coming kind of coming at you from all angles. So if you're not really clear in that, I think you could um, stumble down the wrong path. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think my biggest advice for anyone thinking about starting a nonprofit is that you really just have to have a lot of patience because everything takes forever. The process of applying takes forever. Trying to get funding takes forever. Trying to get programs up and running takes forever. And all of these things kind of, if you're not in the mindset of, okay, take a step back. If you believe in it, it will, it will come. And um, if you're, you're wanting that fast, um, action and immediate rewards. Um, it it's not the model for you. And meanwhile, you're also assembling a board and making sure everybody's on on the same page and right, bringing them along through that entire journey uh, of launching new programs and fundraising, etc. Absolutely. Actually, um, this brings up another um, anecdotal story. I had a meeting with um, an entrepreneur that I was connected with through the, the Cleveland Foundation. And we, we talked about having similar missions and, and asked her, like, you know, why, why aren't you a nonprofit? And she said, like, oh, it takes too much time, too many people, too many voices, yeah. you know, like if you're going to get something done and you only have to go through one person, yeah. uh, then, then you'll get it done faster. And it, it's true. Like you have to schedule a meeting and getting nine people together. Yeah. Four times a year is yeah. a lot harder than it sounds. But again, it goes back to that sure. accountability and knowing that you're doing everything right and what's in the best interest of the community instead of just what's in my best Absolutely. interest. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I like the fact that you actually, and I assume you to be, I take you literally that you did start your business on the back of a napkin. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we always hear that, but now I think <laughs> yeah, right. you may be the it's first person right. interviewed who thing. did that. That was the the initial sketch of the um, Kaufman Center for Performing Arts was on the back of a napkin as well. Oh, I didn't know here that. Here in Kansas City, yeah. Son of a gun. It's pretty cool. So starting a business, it's it's really a lot of work because there are many moving parts. Can you tell us what marketing vehicles you use to make the community aware of North Point Ballet? It really was a grassroots effort. I mean, talk about starting on the back of a napkin. Our first marketing plan included yard signs and it still does. Like we still order yard signs for our shows and stick them in everybody's yard for, you know, go to our website, call this number for tickets, um, yard signs, postcards. These are people you know, right? Um, Yes, yeah, mostly members sure. of the cast. Uh-huh. <laughs> we, we don't just... Yeah. Stick in, yeah. Although, don't put it in. Oh, my. <laughs> Try that one day. Um, and word of mouth. Um, I think that the word of mouth 
comes with a lot more credibility than a, a paid for Google ad, yeah. you know, just because people can have that conversation and um, understand what, what the product is that they're getting. You know, and, and social media is a wonderful free way of kind of getting it out there. Uh, at this point, we don't have a lot of other marketing um, tools. Yep. And I think it is due to a little bit of lack of experience. Truthfully, the the team of people that I do have working for me are amazing, but they are all like me and they are all dancers yeah. with such a passion for this organization that they're putting in extra hours and extra time to do the administrative tasks that I just don't have the time to do anymore. Um, but we kind of come with a very specific set of skills and Marketing isn't necessarily one of them. So sure. if there's anybody out there listening who wants to <laughs> assist with some marketing consulting, just call me up. <laughs> I'd love to hear from you. So through North Point, you've assembled a team of people who help uh, deliver your the various programs that you have. Um, how many people does North Point employ and in what capacities, full-time, part-time, contract basis, et cetera? I am actually the only employee. I'm the only full-time employee. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone else is a part-time contractor. So I do have an administrative team, but they are contractors. And with our work, you know, our our programs come and go, I mean, throughout the season, but there could be weeks where they work one hour a week and weeks that we work 25 hours a week. So sure. those five part-time admins um, are contractors, and then the professional dancers and the teaching staff are also contractors. We do have um, anywhere between like 12 and 15 um, artists on wow. staff, yeah. and they are on contracts for the performance season. And then, um, you know, they they log their hours when they teach. And um, Sure. You know, we just, we all love each other, and we <laughs> keep putting in the time because um, we believe in the organization and, yeah. and our people and our, and our product. So you're the, are you, you're the, um, executive director of the organization. Is that Correct. the title you use? Okay, great. And then you said five admins and anywhere from 12 to 17, or maybe I was doing the math in my head, 12 to 17 part-time instructors, uh, et cetera. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's a lot of people to keep track of. It is, yeah. and that I think doesn't even include our production staff. All so, right, so when um, you do a show or you know, whatever, yeah. When we do a show, exactly, there's the lighting designer yeah. and the costume designer and the set designer and um, production manager, so yeah. it, it's a lot. Well, how, <laughs> how many shows do you do? Do you do about one a quarter? or? Oh, we do two full lengths um, per year, so a, mm-hmm. a Nutcracker every winter and then a full length spring ballet, and then um, we were doing rep concerts in the fall, so it's um, less of those, you know, huge set designers and right. large casts, yeah. and they're more the professional dancers doing small excerpts of of pieces and create their own choreography too. So we do um, about three shows a year. It was impressive to see how diverse your board is and just the variety of experiences they bring to the table. What was the process you used to create your board? Um, that's another really good question because I don't know that I have a really solidified process for that. Um, again, going back to um, the days of the, the napkin <laughs> meeting, um, I had talked to, you know, I had been teaching dance forever mm-hmm. um, and made some 
great connections with some of my students' parents. And one in particular, um, who is now my board president, um, she's the executive director of Girl Scouts of Northeast Ohio. Um, I think that she she saw what I um, what you know me and other dance teachers did for her daughter, and maybe the experience and potential that I had to um, lead an organization. And <laughs> showed up at my doorstep one day with a bunch of books that were like how to start a nonprofit. <laughs> so I said, okay, well you have worked in your whole life in nonprofits and, um, you know, we kind of got to talking and it was a good fit for her to be our first, um, board president. Um, from there, we, we just considered people that had connections to, um, the cast members and the staff members that, you know, already that team of people like, okay, who, who understands us and who understands our mission and who um, can take it to the next level. Who's, who's not a dancer, right? Cause all of our staff members are dancers. Right. So who's not a dancer. Um, and it started with um, parents and those close connected to us um, in, in other ways that might not be parents of students. But then from there, when we realized it's, it's time to ex- expand our board and okay, now we need, somebody with legal experience and we need somebody in other communities that are not privileged and white, then we can kind of go outside the box. Yeah. Sure. So a lot of empathy and from the people that you know. Right. And so we talked a little bit about marketing um, and some other administrative tasks that, uh, that North Point has to, has to do. How do you accomplish those things like bookkeeping, accounting, taxes, et cetera? Um, who, who does those things for you? Um, we do rely heavily on volunteers. So right now our um, bookkeeper is a retired financial professional who donates his time to manage our books. Um, it was, it was me for a while mm-hmm. <laughs> there, but then it got much too much for me to handle. Sure. Um, so I'm grateful that for that um, volunteer position. Um, and we do we contract an accounting firm for, um, again, things that go beyond even the bookkeeping. Um, there's a lot of great uh, Google Drive has kind of saved our life. Like it's just it's free. It's out there. And we are able to um, manage a lot um, just by using a very mm-hmm. Well curated um, folder of spreadsheets yeah, <laughs> and, sure. and systems. So, your approach to access is refreshing because future artists need to first be aware of what's out there, and second, access to training and other opportunities. That said, underserved populations have to deal with some things that most don't, and one is flexible transportation. Does North Point Ballet do anything to accommodate access with transportation in mind? This is another really great question. I think that a lot of organizations that are similar to mine always run into this transportation hurdle. You know, we think, oh, we have, you know, I will happily give free tickets to anybody who wants to see our shows or we will scholarship students who can't pay for it. But then they're not being served because they can't actually come Mm -hmm. to the location of the service that is being provided. So um, two of our our three initiatives really have this as a main focus, our community engagement initiative and our on-site education initiative. So our community engagement tour, um, as I mentioned, you know, we do, we do three shows a year. So for those two big ballets, those two main stage productions, the um, four, about four weeks before we, 
put on the full length at the theater, we tour excerpts to the community. So we take um, the workshop to K to five schools and we'll put on workshops and assembly performances to all different schools. We also perform in libraries and community centers and nursing homes and hospitals. So we realize that there is a large population that's not going to be able to attend the performance, but we've already rehearsed it and we're ready to perform. And um, it's it, it's a good opportunity for the dancers too to really see their how their art um, makes a difference right impact on their community. Um, so that's, you know, it, it's a little bit of extra work, but it's, you know, as far as altering choreography and, you know, we can't do everything because of limited space and floors and mm-hmm. all of that. But um, yeah, our community engagement initiative really, um, I think is, is very foundational to our organization. And then our on-site education program is relatively new as far as the other initiatives go. But um, when we were hoping to, you know, change maybe the demographic of our of our cast um, so that everybody in our audience could really see themselves on stage, you know, recognizing that our cast was largely um, white and privileged and how are we going to change that and scholarships aren't working and, you know, what can we do? Yeah. Um, we ran into that that <laughs> transportation issue, and the solution that we came up with was to offer these on-site classes at community centers and after school and during school. So we have re- developed really great partnerships with um, the Julio de Burgos Cultural Arts Center in Cleveland, with the El Centro Social Services Organization in Lorraine, and we offer offer after school programs there, and then um, opportunities for the students in those programs to perform with the professional company alongside their their other peers that are in the cast. Um, and then we just recently started um, teaching in schools at the Douglas MacArthur Girls Leadership Academy in the Cleveland um, Metropolitan School District. And so we actually go into their music class yeah. and are part of their music class, and um, we're able to kind of offer. Like that intro to ballet that they might not have gotten other yeah. otherwise, and then if they you know have a, a a talent or a passion for it, then they can continue. Yeah, this is fantastic. So you're really doing all you can to engage, and and people really have to come up with an excuse not to do this. And we will link to these uh, entities in the show notes if you can get those to us. Um, how far, what's the radius that you use? Is it 10 miles, 20 miles? How far out do you go from, from your facility? Oh, I, I truthfully do not even know the answer to that question. Um, our facility is in Berea right now. You know, we were um, based in North Ridgeville because that's where my house is. Mm-hmm. And we rented studio space um, from various local dance studios. Mm-hmm. Again, that was, you know, as a, a startup yeah. Rent and utilities are huge costs, and there's just no way we could have been able to have a facility on our own. And, um, you know, everybody works part time, so it would be a waste of space. And there's tons of dance studios, and I have good relationships with a lot of them. So, you know, we kind of were nomadic for a while and planted roots um, only a year ago, only last September in Berea. So, as far as a radius, I, I couldn't even tell you, you know. Both Lorraine and Cuyahoga counties, we have served probably all over both counties. So really, you're just limited by distance. I th- yeah. 
just have one more follow-up question. Have you been able to quantify the impact on enrollment or even engagement when you implemented that on-site initiative? Did you know, was it noticeable? No, I haven't. Um, sadly, it, this happened, like we kind of got those programs running right before COVID mm-hmm. hit. So the enrollment has gone all over right. the place. Um, so, you know, it was start out strong. And then with all of the things that we had to swap and go virtual and then offer it at this location, but not this location, um, I will say that it has picked back up. I was nervous. We're like, oh man, people lost interest and, you know, we, we lost momentum. But, um, you know, I think through COVID and, and the Zoom um, phenomenon, you know, we realized that there are some things that are great on Zoom and some things that are not. And and dance is definitely one of those things that you need. You need space. You need people. You know, it is a very social art form and, um so I, I'm encouraged that the numbers are going up, but Good. sadly cannot quantify them for you at this moment. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Visit artsentrepreneurshippodcast.com to learn more about our guest and how you can help support artists, the arts, and this podcast. Mm-hmm.